Good evening. <laughs> Here we are. Um, we were talking, I was actually talking with Amanda Weems this morning just about how uh, we've had a lot of these sorts of meetings in the last two years and y'all have had even more uh, over the last four years and it's just really good to have a full team uh, after a lot of transition, a lot of prayers, a lot of trials. Uh, and the Lord has provided abundantly. And as I've got to know these guys and as the elders got to know these guys, man, we love these guys, uh, but that's because we know them. Most of y'all don't. And some of y'all that are on ministry teams, like if you serve in the youth or if you serve on the music team or college team, you'll get more exposure to these guys. But if you're not in one of those particular ministries, sometimes it's hard to get to know the personalities of your full-time ministry staff. So that's the motive of tonight. It's just, hey, can get, uh, give a jump start on you getting to know who we are. Because even me, I'm still, I've been here 17 months now and a lot of you don't know a lot about me. And so this is just a way, instead of going to lunch with all of you in one night, just kind of learn the personalities of, uh, of the ministry staff. So that's the goal. So uh, let's first introduce, in case you're new, uh, Taylor Routon, music minister, came on March 2017. 2018. There we go. Can't trust me at all on a Sunday night, I'll just warn you. Uh, Cody Bingham came on July 2018, college minister. And uh, all these guys actually do more than just these specific ministries, but they're just focused on college and music. Nathan McCravey, January 6th. First day? Yes. Seventh? Youth ministry. And so, man, three hires in one year, like I mentioned the other day in our State of the Church sermon, is pretty incredible. It's a lot of transition for a church. So uh, we're all new, and we, we are already, you know, these guys especially already have knit hearts with me and with the elders, some of you, but tonight is just a way to try to speed up the process instead of, I know time just takes time, but tonight's a way to get to know a little bit about them besides, hey, that guy that does youth or that guy that's on stage or that guy that does college et cetera, et cetera. So we're just going to ask a bunch of questions, um, some fun, some lighthearted. Let's begin. We'll start down here, Taylor. Tell us how you met your wife. All right. So I was looking for a country gal with some land, and uh, Grace was looking for uh, a farmer boy. So farmers only is where we went, and we didn't get what we wanted. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, so uh, Grace... Well, let's see here. Uh, I had a roommate that kept bringing this girl around, and uh, I think they were dating, but there's times when they weren't dating. I don't know what the whole story was, but uh, she had a sister, and they tried to kind of talk up the sister to me, but uh, it was Grace, but she was in high school at the time. And so I, just, I was a sophomore in college, and I said, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Like, I'm way above high school at this point in my life, so... Um, I'm not interested. Well, uh, my roommate got married to that girl and started hanging out a lot. Saw a lot of grace. Eventually, she wound up in college and was up to my level. Um, it's probably the other way around. I still haven't reached her level. But no, so we just got to hang out. And my uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law now uh, kept inviting us to game nights and putting us together. And one thing led to another and just developed a friendship and a relationship and uh, popped the question. And she said yes. I was real nervous about that, but she said yes. So... That's the, the short version. Where is Grace? Is Grace in here? She, there she is. Yeah. Grace, would you stand up in case you don't yeah. Grace? Just stand away. That's Grace, you do. No my pressure. better half. <laughs> we didn't meet on farmersonly.com, but we met on East Coast Only. I don't know. Is that a thing? Eastcoastonly.com? That doesn't exist. So I'm not going to offend anybody who, you know, uh, met on East Coast Only. Um, Wait, we met, that's a real thing? No, it's not a real thing. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Carry on. You never know. Um, so we met, uh, I, I am able to claim that I am somewhat West Texas-ish because I was born in, in Lubbock, uh, but I lived most of my life on the East Coast uh, in Virginia. That's where me and my wife met. We met at Liberty University and I actually met at a Bible study. Uh, she came to Christ the summer before we met just through crazy, uh, you know, just God's Reckless love? Just kidding. Uh, I can't say that because we don't sing that song. Uh, God's pursuit, biblical pursuit um, of as the way he pursues each of us. Uh, and just, she was saved on a mission trip, actually, and in Honduras, realized that she, she wasn't a believer. And, and she basically just left everything, quote unquote, and transferred colleges, came to Liberty. And she got in because her... I think it was kind of neat what you're talking about with like the small moments this morning, like just those tiny insignificant details we think are insignificant. Um, her mentor was working for my mom 
and my mom was mentoring her. So it was like a third generation mentee is going to be my wife one day. And so, uh, so my mom, we have a boss at our house and, um, she invites a lot of people from her work. And so this lady I was working for my mom brought Carolyn along and, um, we met then, um, I didn't, I didn't feel right. I was my freshman year. That was her sophomore year. And I didn't feel right about dating my freshman year. Uh, so I just prayed about it for a year, um, about pursuing her. I knew that I, I knew that she was special. I started praying for her. Um, and then, uh, just the next year, um, we started pursuing marriage. Like it, it was more like a courtship, I guess, you know, I mean, it was pretty, it was very intentional. It wasn't just like a, I'm not saying that Dayton's bad uh, necessarily, but we were intentionally pursuing marriage. And, um, and once we dated for a year, we got engaged and seven months later got married. Um, so yeah, now we have Gabriel, he's 11 months old, about to turn a year in February. And, um, she, Gabe is a horrible napper and has to go to bed at 6.30. So that's where Carolyn's at right now. So she's not here, but she puts up with me. So hold on, tell us a little bit. I'm going to do this. I'm going to interrupt and and ask a double click. Mm -hmm. Unpack why you didn't want to date freshman year. Uh, that was just commitment. I actually, I'd never, I didn't date anybody in high school. Um, so Carolyn was my first person that I dated. Um, and so I just, I don't know, I, I guess it was just from the Lord. And honestly, when we look back, like thinking about that, Carol and I were talking, just like looking back. Cause like, as you said, um, it's all, it always makes sense. Like hindsight 2020, sure. But like God's will is 2020. And when you look back and you're able to see, oh, wow, look what he's been doing. Um, he just convicted my heart, you know, not to date my freshman year. I don't know why. I mean, uh, but had we, we both felt like, man, had we dated when I was that immature and she was still that immature as a believer, I, we didn't think that we would have made it, you know. I mean, in God's sovereignty, I'm sure we would have. But, like, that year, God laid, set aside just to mature both of us um, in order to um, lay a strong foundation, you know, just for us to mature in Christ and then came together. Uh, my wife, Katie, and I also met in college. So apparently in college, we got more than degrees, fellas. Uh, but no, we were a part of a same Bible study attending different churches in Lubbock. And uh, one of my college minister brought me in and there was this whole group of people sitting at the dining room table at the house where we did this Bible study. And he starts rattling off everybody's names. And of course, Katie was in the, in the group. And my, uh, my one talent, my one ability is that I can remember names and faces for the most part. Um, and so the next week I see Katie walking on campus. So I go up, say, Hey Katie. And deer in the headlights looking at me. She has no clue how I am. No clue who my name is really boosted my self-esteem. And so, uh, Nathan from, from the Bible study and Oh, Oh yeah. And come to find out she calls her best friend as she's walking away from that conversation. And do you remember meeting Nathan at the Bible study? And she was also very confused about who I was. But after that, uh, just through the course of having mutual friends, spent a lot of time together and then asked her out on a date, which she graciously said yes. And I told her on date one, hey, I'm looking to go into pastoral ministry. I'm looking for a wife. So if you're not into that, then enjoy that cup of hot chocolate because it's maybe the last date. Uh, but she said... Yeah, she felt comfortable pursuing things, and so we dated for a year and a half, and then we were engaged for another year, and then we've been married for f uh, five and a half, coming up on six years this summer. So, Six years, and how long have you been married? How long? It's a great question. Uh, four and a half years. During light, during headlights. Coming up on five. <laughs> five? Same, coming up on five. Five, okay, cool. And Katie, are you here? Would you stand? Hi, Katie, Welcome. <clears throat> well, yeah, absolutely. Some of you know my story uh, with, with Alicia, but it started here in Abilene through Southside. So I mentioned this morning when I heard about Southside, I came and would come here in the summer, but I, wasn't, I didn't go to school here in Abilene, so I always felt sort of like an outsider in the college ministry because I didn't go to college here, but I still come to some things. Well, we were at the, the previous college minister's house watching an NBA playoff game, uh, June 23rd, 2005, and Alicia's there, kind of like right here, pretty close, enough that I can hear, and so I'm not watching the Spurs play, I'm just listening to Alicia. I met her, her belief, you know, I'm just, I'm just listening, she's telling her story, she's in nursing school, she had just moved apartments, on and on and on, and I'm thinking, I'm going to pursue this girl. Next day, I tell my boss, found my wife, 
last night. I'm pursuing her. Come to come on Sunday. Honest, just honest confession. More excited about Alicia than worshiping corporately. And she wasn't here. And she wasn't here for weeks, actually. And so I began to think, well, maybe she's not that committed to the local church. And and uh, I, you know, maybe I need to find someone else. Seriously, I was praying about it and wondering where she was. Well. One night, college group had like an ice cream social party, and I wasn't that committed to going, not that interested in going again. They weren't my friends, but I thought, you know what? Alicia might be there. So I go, and I go, and it was actually Lindsay Vickers' house, who we now support as a missionary. Lindsay hosted all the college students for an ice cream party, and I'm driving by a little bit late, and as I'm driving by a crowded street, I look at the address, and Alicia's walking out of the house. And so I'm like, no, should have been on time. Lost my opportunity. And I'm going to redeem this. And I remembered she had told, said way back in June. Now, this is August. May in June, I remember she's in an apartment complex behind KFC on Judge Ely. And so, <laughs> I go and I'm just cruising the parking lot like a creep. Stalker. Driving back and forth <laughs> looking for Alicia. And sure enough, guess who's letting her dog out to use the restroom? And so, I'm giddy and nervous. I roll the window down. I'm like, hey. And same thing. We, we met before on Blake, and she's like, sorry. Of course, it had been two months. Uh, didn't remember, and I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I met you at Southside or whatever. And I had plans, actually. I was part of a mission board, and I, we had a meeting in Dallas that weekend, so I was about to go out of town for the weekend. But I was like, are you going to be at Southside Sunday? Yeah, yeah. And canceled my plans, got back late Saturday night, went to coffee that evening, and uh, kind of same thing. I was going back to college at that point, so it's kind of like, here's where I'm headed. You interested? Part of it involves Louisville, Kentucky, and so... We were engaged, so we met. A f- I met her in June. She met me in August. And uh, <laughs> I bought a ring in October, which I don't recommend. I didn't plan on giving it to her, so I, I, I hid it for a while and finally took it back to the jeweler and said, Brother, you got to hang on to this. I'll, I'll come back when I need it. Proposed in December, and then we got married in June and uh, went straight to Louisville. Got married June 3rd, 2006. Went to Louisville, Kentucky, June 14th. So. So if you don't meet your spouse at a Bible study, you stalk them. Lesson learned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the, the thing is, it's not stalking when it's successful. That's, okay? <laughs> That's just what we call pursuit. All right? All right. Why would you name your kids what you named your kids? Let's start with you, Nathan. And tell us your story about, you, about Graham. Yeah, so most of you know Graham is Colombian-born. Uh, so he... He was born, uh, we, we estimate, about two weeks before we started paperwork for adoption. Um, so just in the Lord's providence, I mean, the kid was born as soon as we were signing papers, uh, basically. So we're grateful for that. But he's been in our home now for about a year. January 15th is what, what adoption day or gotcha day, as other families might talk about it. Um, and Graham is just a name that we had picked out for a long time. It's not a family name. You know, we didn't get inspiration from Billy Graham. Some people ask that, but it's just a name that Kate and I both said, yeah, it works well. His middle name, Dean, is my middle name, and then it's also my father's name. So that is, that is a family name. So Graham Dean McCravey, um, and he is every bit of McCravey as you can imagine. You know, he just got a better tan than I do. Um, Gabriel Lance. Uh, Lance is named after my dad. Um, and Gabriel, it's actually not from the Bible. Um, it's a lot less holy. Uh, no, that, that name is in the Bible. I know, but it's not. We didn't name him from Gabriel. It was funny when I was reading the story on Christmas, the Christmas story, I was reading and, and Gabriel's sitting there and I was like, and then Gabriel visited Mary and he goes, ah, like he just squawks from the, he kept squawking because I kept saying his name because he knew daddy was up here. And I kept saying Gabriel. I was like, no, not that Gabriel, the Gabriel in the Bible. Um, but we named him from the, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but kind of serious. Uh, from, uh, anybody seen the movie The Patriot? Um, Gabriel, uh, the oldest son. I mean, it's, that's kind of what we say, just because we really like, it's Heath Ledger's character. He's a really cool. It's a good name for a farmer. Um, that's what Sam Maroney always says. It's a good name for a farmer. I don't know. It's not, like I said, it's not super holy. Well, most of y'all don't know, um, my spirit animal is a raven. It's like an eagle, but just a lot uglier and less majestic and darker. But Remington means of the raven farm, and so that's where we got, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's what it means, though. We found out later on. Uh, didn't think through the meaning very well, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I heard it uh, growing up occasionally as a name, but usually a Remington rifle. 
Um, I think there's a Remington hair product line. That's not where we got it either. But just, I like the name. And uh, I got into guns, which didn't help things because I started seeing Remington a lot more. And so I initially proposed Remington to Grace. And uh, she didn't like it. So we put it kind of on the back burner, and the Lord did a work in her heart and uh, opened her eyes uh, to Remington. <laughs> Uh, we actually, we didn't find out the gender of, of both of our babies. We didn't know if we're having a boy or a girl. And so uh, we had, I think, a couple of boy and, and one girl name picked out for when Remington was born. And it was like a hard-pressed decision between the three names we had and uh, just felt like going with Remington. So he lives up to it, though. Uh, Lydia is more biblical. We were, we were doing a study uh, in Philippians and started in Acts just kind of when uh, Paul initially begins his his journey through uh, Philippians. And uh, just as Lydia um, her, her eyes were opened by God to, to hear and to respond to the message. And so kind of just as we were studying that, just the, really loved the name. And I just pray that for, for her and Remington as well, that the Lord would open their eyes. And that's kind of her namesake. So. Cool. So ours are um, Josiah, obviously. Well, like if you look for decent figures in the Old Testament, decent kings, the list gets small really quickly. Josiah is one of them, one of the righteous kings. Uh, his Lee is, is after my dad and Alicia's stepdad's middle name, Josiah Lee. Uh, Asher, obviously biblical name, 12 tribes, second son, means laughter. That proved to be prophetic. Uh, his middle name is Blake. That was Alicia's idea. Um, Karis, Karis is Greek for grace, and uh, we just liked K's. We liked the name Karis and uh, Grace, Karis Ann, middle name uh, in the family as well. Uh, Knox Haddon is uh, John Knox. John Knox was a Scottish Presbyterian reformational pastor, just a stud. And we just like the name Knox, short, masculine, strong. So, uh, and Haddon is Charles Haddon Spurgeon's middle name. So Knox Haddon. Knox Haddon is probably the most meaningful. Got a big name to live up to. Uh, and then Bo, short for Boaz, which we're hearing about his character. And his middle name's Owen after another uh, reformational guy. John Owen was an English Puritan uh, who was just a stud. So that's us. All right, turning to the serious, um, favorite candy or dessert and or dessert. It depends on the day. Like, I, I just don't know how to answer that. I guess uh, a staple of mine is a Mr. Good Bar. Can't go wrong with peanuts and chocolate. So does that work? Sure. Like, I don't have a better answer. He's very particular, so I'm surprised he said anything. <laughs> I thought you were going to say hamburger is your favorite dessert. Correct my answer. Hamburger <laughs> is final answer. For all things. I mean, Grace goes out of town and he makes 32 hamburger patties. So I, I froze up. them. I didn't eat all of them, but yes. <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah. He did. <laughs> I need to That's clarify. all he ate while she was gone. <laughs> yes. Um, my favorite dessert is chips and queso. I, I'm not a dessert person, really. Like, people are all about, like, cake and ice cream. I'm just not. Like, I wish. But whenever we go on date night, I like to get, I like, to get like, sour candy, like Zowers or something. Mike and Ike, sour Mike and Ike's like those pretty good. Yeah, I hear people say a lot, you know, that's too sweet for me. I've never had that experience. So if you can describe that to me, I'd be grateful. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think candy, I don't eat a lot of candy, but I, I guess my favorite traditional candy bar is a Hershey's Cookies and Cream. Those things are good. But then I just, I just like desserts of any kind, particularly ice cream. Mm. Uh, typically cookie dough is pretty good, so... He really likes chocolate-covered pickles as well, he's telling mm. me, for dessert. Yeah, anything, anything pickle-flavored, you know. <laughs> we eat lunch every Monday together and, and just talk and talk about the service and connect, and we've basically discovered Taylor is averse to flavor. Just, just, just doesn't like flavor, so. <laughs> he did Don't pick out a nice. It's true. <laughs> So we had a meeting, Cody and I had a meeting to talk about something uh, the other day, and we got to eat Chinese food, and it was amazing, because we haven't had Chinese food since Taylor's averse to flavor. I just know what I like. (laughs) Do what? I just know what I like, so what what I don't like. That's good. And what you don't like. So ladies, if you like sushi or Chinese food, take Grace out to eat Chinese or sushi. That way she can splurge. All right, uh, favorite song? Doesn't have to be Christian. Mm. Doesn't have to be holy. Can't be Tupac. Can't be Tupac. Well, okay, now I got to go down my list a little bit. Okay. Um, well, I think I think my two favorite songs. I am going to stick with holy. Uh, you know, just because that's the way I am. 
Uh, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Paid It All uh, is one of our all-time favorites. Uh, it was actually a song that Katie's brother sang for us at our wedding. And then uh, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery by Matt Papa, uh, two songs that uh, are studs. And then what's become a favorite song of mine here recently within the past year is this really silly children's song called, um, what is it? I'm Adopted by Slugs and Bugs. Mm. There, there are two things that make me cry, and I think I told this to the youth team. Um, one is talking about the Rangers losing two World Series back-to-back. And then uh, talking about adoption. And this song is a children's song, but it just talks about the relationship between uh, physical adoption and the adoption we experience through Christ. And, I mean, again, it's a children's song, but every time I hear it, I mean, I'm just, I'm a mess. So I listened to that on January 15 on the way to work, and I thought people were going to have, thought I have allergies, you know, because my eyes were puffy and red when I walked into work. (laughs) Uh, My favorite song is Oceans. Just kidding, it's not. Uh, it's just a picket tailor. Um, All I have is Christ. Love that song. Um, it's my all-time favorite um, Christian song. And then, um, really, anything about 116. Um, I like Christian rap, Andy Mineo. Um Honestly, my favorite like Christian rap song is Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, we're actually going through Don't Waste Your Life uh, as a leadership team. So, I'd say uh, Holy, 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 because it's the holiest of all the songs you know. But... Uh, for me, it's just a good reminder of just having a right perspective and uh, just putting God in his rightful place. And so I just love singing that song. It's, uh, it's one of the few songs that Remington, Remington can just sing off the fly, and we sing it uh, almost every night as we're walking to bed. So, uh, But just uh, want them to develop a right view and just of his holiness and just kind of understand the gravity of, of, of that. Um, can I speak into that real quick? Yeah. When we're at uh, home group, um, we were, it was just neat because, you know, how Blake was talking about uh, a few weeks ago about, you know, men leading in family worship. And it was just neat because um, this is what the body does, right? It encourages each other. And so, like, I was trying to implement, trying to do that, you know. And in our D group that we meet on, on Friday mornings um, with a bunch of guys, uh, we were talking about family worship. And then we got to go to his house. I got to go to Taylor's house and do um, family worship with them as part of their home group. And Remington goes up and he's like, Daddy, read, read Bible, pray, sing. Read Bible, pray, sing. It's just, it's part of the culture, right? And I was just like, man, as soon as Gabe speaks, I want him to be able to say that, you know? And, and that's what we sing. That's, what, that's why I bring it up because the main song that they do is holy, holy, holy. And so it is just, golly, it's just so rich. I really pray that that's like, a, like what he wants, but I think it's pretty much he knows that that'll keep him from having to go to bed. And so that's why he says that because <laughs> uh, it'll buy him some time. But... Maybe the Lord's working in his heart. But the other one would be In Christ Alone, just Walks to the Gospel, a solid song. Uh, I'm never tired of singing that one. So what about you, Blake? Yeah, In Christ Alone is one of those. Do you know what year it was written? Huh? Do you know what year In Christ Alone was written? It was like early, 2000s. early 2000s. Yeah, 2005, I think. Yeah, so it's one of those few that, that people call a hundred-year hymn or a hundred-year song. Uh, and Christ alone is one of those, man. That's one of the things, my burden, it's hard because the language does get archaic, but we do some here, but especially as a family, trying to get, teach the kids the songs that, that their great-grandkids will be singing in the church, you know, and it's missing today a lot of times. It, it really hit home at a funeral I was at. I wasn't doing the funeral, but I was there, and we sang I Can Only Imagine, and uh, not to knock that song, or if that's what you want at your funeral, that's fine, but there was just something missing to me. It just seemed... I don't know, it just seemed like to lack weight or something. And it just made me just refreshed all the more about hymns that connect the generations. And that's one we'll be singing 100 years from now. And my favorite one's one we're on like 200 years, 300 years, uh, There is a Fountain. And we sing it on occasion. They're, hard, they're harder to sing. But, man, the lyrics, every little two words are so rich. So I mentioned in a sermon the other day, William Cooper, Cooper spelled Cowper, but it's Cooper, um, wrote God moves in a mysterious way and he had a really troubled life but he also wrote there is a fountain and if nothing else that that saint contributed to the church man that's been worth it so I want there is a fountain at my funeral saying so write that down don't forget there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins uh, tell us what you're currently reading everything um so we, we do something where we, we read a book, uh, just talk about a chapter a week as a staff, and right now we're going through um, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, and so that's, that's one of them. Uh, as a staff as a whole, we're also going through Everyday Conflict, 
those are just kind of chapter weeks uh, for us right now, and I've been enjoying going through those. Um, outside of that, I'm, I'm doing the same thing, kind of going through a chapter in a different book, uh, uh, one called uh, Sing. Um, that's more of a, a meeting with someone once a month and talking about it, but it's by the Gettys, and it's talking about uh, why, why we sing, uh, the importance of it, the commands of it. I think uh, it says that singing is referenced in the Bible over 400 times, and 50 of those times it's commanded that we, we sing, and so, um, but just walking through that. The other one, uh, Rhythm of Grace, and that's not necessarily uh, specifically music, but it's talking about worship as a whole, just what worship looks like in your life as a rhythm of grace if you're responding constantly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it narrows down and focuses in on a, a church service and the different elements of a church service, and so walking through that one weekly. And then I'm also in a few other books for a theology class I'm taking in the middle of a Christian theology a book called, uh, uh, or it's called Christian Theology by Millard Erickson. And a couple other books kind of for that class. Um, I'm about to start into The Cross of Christ by John Stott, uh, hopefully this week, and start diving into that one uh, in preparation for a research paper um, in that class. So, And then the Bible is chief among all of those, uh, and uh, I think that's about it right now. Which, so, let's ask, let's yeah. ask what you're reading now, and then what's your favorite? Favorite all-time Yeah, book. okay. Well, I have to do both yeah, at the yeah, same time. Yeah. All right, favorite of all time. I just, I don't like saying favorite necessarily, uh, but... Uh, some top ones, uh, for me, I don't know if you'll know the name, Don Whitney, he, uh, we recommended his family worship book, but just, he has a book on prayer and a book on uh, just disciplines of the Christian life, and for me, those are just like once a year kind of books, so just, that I can, I can read, I can be reminded of just really simple application, just, um, and uh, but just be challenged and be able to measure like how have I grown in these disciplines in, in my prayer life in this last year, and so um, if, my goal is always read those once a year, they're just kind of staples in my life, uh, but also, um, uh, there's others. Uh, I think anything by John Piper is a favorite of mine. I just like, I like because uh, you can't just skim through his books. You have to to really work slowly, and it's just really challenging. Uh, even if you don't agree with everything, just uh, he just comes from a biblical perspective, and just is really challenging. Um, and then uh, a couple other guys, Matt Boswell and uh, Bob Coughlin, write stuff specific to music and to uh, worship ministers, and that has been really helpful. And love reading their their stuff as well. Uh, right now I'm reading Don't Waste Your Life by uh, Jay Pipes, John Piper. Um, that's what the leadership team has come to call John Piper. Jay Pipes. Um, and then we're reading, like I said, like re- Instruments with Hans Redeemer, uh, Resolving Conflict. Uh, and then we're also going through, we started a midweek service for college on Thursdays. So I've been reading a lot of uh, books centered around the Sermon on the Mount because that's what we're going through. Um, I mean, it's at 9 o'clock, but I mean, if y'all, you know, don't sleep. Y'all can come hang out with us. Uh, I know it's pretty late, but feel free to come. Uh, it's, I've been reading, uh, one, it's just, it's books on the Sermon on the Mount by D.A. Carson, by Stott, um, and been reading a little bit of The Cost of the Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which is also one of my favorite books. It's probably, it's probably, I mean, I don't read books all the way. It's hard for me to read books all the way through. It's like I'll read a chapter and then I'll read a chapter over here in this book and I'll read a chapter in that book and I'm too scattered. Um, But the cost of the discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I keep coming back to um, because it's, it's, it's revolves around the Sermon on the Mount, but it's also, you know, bringing in Luke 10, Luke 14 of just the cost of following Christ and is, 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 does it cost something, you know? And so that's probably my favorite book that I'm going to say. I don't think there's any any more that I'm reading. Um, I'm just now starting called Delighting in the Trinity, an introduction to the Christian faith, which is basically just a look at God and how we as humans interact with him as a triune God uh, and why that's important for the Christian faith, Uh, how if God is not triune, then our faith is invalid. Uh, And so it's looking at that, and um, I'm reading through that with uh, Jordan Cosper and Joss Ward. We're going to start that here in a couple weeks, so I've taken a head start on that. Uh, in addition to the books that they, these guys mission. And then we're also uh, currently teaching through Romans on Wednesday nights, so we're just kind of reading through Romans together, uh, just to kind of get a big picture overview of the book so that as we teach it kind of as a, in, in tandem, we can see the themes and we can start making those connections together. I think I have two all-time favorite books. Uh, one of them is called To the Golden Shore. Uh, it's a biography about Adoniram Judson and his life as a missionary to Burma. A great book. It's really thick, but it it reads incredibly easily, and it's a fascinating story. So if you're ever interested in biographies, that's a great one to pick up. It's intimidating because it's big, but again, just the author, I don't even remember the author's name, 
Um, but it's just an easy read. And then I have a weird fascination with mountain climbing. Never been mountain climbing. I've, you know, at, you have a weird fascination with it? Alex Honnold, you know? I don't know who that is. So maybe my fascination isn't as robust as yours. <laughs> Cody's more committed. <laughs> um, but there's a book called Into Thin Air, which is written by a mountain climber named John Krakauer, which describes the 1996 Everest um, catastrophe where several men died. There was a movie put out a couple of years ago about it. But that book is, is also fascinating because it's the perspective of a non-believer kind of achieving his dreams. And there's almost as if there's a letdown, you know. So to read this story from a non-believer and then to realize, I mean, he opens the book and the book starts with, you know, I got to the top of Mount Everest and the only thing I could care about was how to get down. You know, and just, just from the mind, from understanding the unbeliever's mindset about achieving his dreams and then comparing to that with what we get to experience in the Christian life. I mean, so it's a fascinating story, but then also just to consider it as a believer in Christ is, is interesting to do. So into thin air and to the golden shore. I, uh, sorry if I can interject. I didn't mention secular books, but I like to read science fiction and other things as well. But my all-time favorite secular book is actually a kid's book called Farmer Boy by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And it's about her husband, Almanzo. And just, I love reading it, even as an adult, because they have no electricity, no running water, and just kind of like goes through his life and what he's, his daily interaction, all the chores, everything. And it's like, man, that's a, that'd be a fun time to live in. I say that with all the monitor, monitor, modern you know, amenities of water um, coming out of a faucet, and electricity, and all of that. But just kind of just the day and age where he had to work for literally every single thing he, you had. Um, I just kind of, I love reading that. So just a little. Taylor was born in the wrong century. Just so y'all picking up on that. He's an old soul. I think we're all old souls to an extent. I mean, these guys are 26, man. I, I'm, I feel like an old man with these guys. They're also make, I'm constantly making old man jokes to me. So I'm like, whatever. I'll skip what I'm reading, but I will just recommend what I think is one of the modern classic books is J.I. Packer's Knowing God. It's you know, it's fairly thick, it's pretty weighty, but man, that is must reading in my opinion for all Christians, work through it. I know some of you guys have, and some of you are even currently, I think, working through it on Friday mornings. It's just rich. Yeah, Packer is just, you know, he's a, he's a saint, got one foot in heaven. Of course, what makes him so great is he's always had one foot in heaven, so. All right, time is ticking. Tell us about, um, two, two-fold question here, your call to ministry and then tell us about your vision for the specific ministry you oversee. Cody, go ahead. Yeah, I'll take it first just because they've been going first. Um, my call to ministry, I uh, felt called at a super early age. Um, speaking, I was a very timid child. Uh, whenever a waiter would come and take our order, I would just duck and cover and have my parents order for me. I was just super timid. Um, but then, like, the Lord rocked my life when I was 11. And, you know, I was involved with my, my youth group there in, in middle school. And they asked me to share my testimony and kind of speak as kind of like a, a witness to the rest of the church. And it was like an evening service. I was like 12 years old, 13 years old. And I just, I wasn't scared at all. Like I wasn't timid. I just felt like that was like, wow, like that was from the Lord. It had to have been, you know. And um, so I felt like, man, there's something here. Like I could do this for the rest of my life. Um, and then... Uh, was involved you know, with certain different kinds of ministries and, and stuff, but then just kept kind of having this idol of track. Um, not saying that by itself is, is bad, but for me it was, and I was idolizing it too much. And so um, I was always wrestling with it of trying to, okay, how can I, how can I disciple these guys where I'm at and, and be satisfied? And it just, this, this satisfaction just kept coming up and just, um, thankfully the Lord just put in, you know, so many different people in my life and, I'm thankful for the rich young ruler because I felt like I was at that point where I was hanging on to my riches. I, I didn't want to go away sad. I wanted to follow Jesus with everything that I had. And so I was just like, Lord, uh, this was, you know, really 2016, 2017. It was kind of just a long time or a season. And I was like, Lord, just open up doors. I just, I want to follow you. I don't want to leave anything back. Um, and then Carolyn found, um, the job opening online, I applied, and the rest is history, and the Lord led us here. Um, and 
backtrack a little bit. I thought for a while I was going to, I thought I was going to be a missionary and then pastoral ministry and a heart for kind of like the, the nominal Christians, the people who aren't really following Jesus, but they think they do. Like God really broke me in that when Carol and I were engaged and, um, and that came through a bunch of conversations while we were engaged. So in 2014, so, um, does that answer the questions? Oh, vision for ministry. Um, the vision for the ministry here at, at, in the college ministry is uh, to make disciples who make disciples here in Abilene and the universities here in Abilene. Uh, and so how do we do that? Um, right now we're doing um, Sunday morning discipleship groups and we're, we're, we're taking it from, we have been doing small groups in the past where it's kind of surface level and we're trying to take the next step and split up with genders and get smaller groups and to disciple these students um, we have a leadership team that, um, it was super, like Dylan and Abby, they're back there, Cooper and Andrea, they're up here. Like they're, I mean, it's just, God is just bringing these awesome students there. Like, just like, I'm so grateful for them. And I wish I, I could go back and, and be like them, you know, when I was their age. And, and the vision is to empower them to go and make disciples. And so when they graduate, I don't want them to just base their degree as their only factor of where they're going to go. I want them to go be a part of a church plant. I want them to go be a part of this church here. Like say, oh, I'm going to be a physical therapist. We're going to be a physical therapist at, I was thinking Amarillo. Okay, well, let me go see where some healthy churches are in Amarillo and get you hooked up there and let them know you're coming, you know? Or send them to the mission field. Send them to unreached people groups. And uh, that's, that's my vision and my heart of empowering these students to go and make disciples wherever they go and graduate. I'll, I'll go first. All right. So <clears throat> I grew up in the church, and uh, you may not seem like it, but I wasn't the coolest kid on the block growing up. And uh, I know, I'm still not, unfortunately. Uh, but I didn't have a whole lot of friends. lived in a small town, so it wasn't a wide variety of friends to have. But I didn't have very many. And uh, they were very involved in just different things than I was, if you had. And so I found myself as a, a young junior high student uh, after school, going to the church and just pestering uh, the youth pastor and the, the worship pastor there and just spending time with them. And uh, they were able to disciple me. They were able to pour into me and encourage me and challenge me and point me to the word on things, uh, help, let me help them uh, on different projects they were working on. And just a love for the church developed and just serving the church. And that just kept growing and growing. And so I, I think uh, instead of being involved in anything really in high school, I, I was involved in mostly just church stuff and serving in several capacities and just being discipled by different people. And, uh, but as, as I kept growing up, I just kind of, what am I going to go to college and do? Uh, I didn't know for sure, but I just knew that I wanted to have a lot of money so I could buy all these cool things. I had a very materialistic um, heart in all of that. And so the older I got, kind of uh, going into college, just I had this... Um, this conviction of, hey, I really, I really feel the Lord leading me to continue just giving my life for the church and serving the church and shepherding the church. Um, but I, I want all this stuff, and the two don't go together. And so it kind of came to this crossroads where I had to deny self, I had to deny passions that weren't of God, that were of my flesh, and just surrender to, to what he had called me to do. And so I surrendered to, to, to being part of, of his plan and, and doing what he wanted me to do. And so I'd find myself at a church and college and they had a need for some youth workers, and I just plugged in and kind of just kept opening doors for me to, to get more involved in different capacities. And um, I wasn't the most gifted at music at the time, but uh, they needed someone to, to help lead. And so um, I was part of a music program, was growing, and was able to serve in that capacity. And just, uh, just something kind of clicked that this understanding of this is what um, I was called to do, what I was supposed to be doing. And so I was just serving in this capacity. And um, I think as well in that whole process was developing just a heart for people and shepherding and minister to them as well. So that's kind of the process of, of me being called in the ministry. Um, and just kind of the ideal uh, the vision for, uh, for the worship music ministry here at Southside, I would say, um, is just knowing deep theological, um, God-based, God-centered songs um, just being able to internalize these songs, because a lot of times when we're, we're singing a song, um, I want it to be tied to, to what we're teaching through scripture, what we're walking through, and so if we, if we sing a song before or after a sermon and we're going through something, just tying what we're being taught in the word to, to putting them to the, the, what we're seeing in these songs, just that these songs are coming from the word of God themselves, and just kind of putting the two together, so in, in times of joy or in, in struggles, no matter what, that 
um, these songs are kind of one of the first things our, our minds can jump to is just singing these different things. And so I want the gospel to be shaping us as a body um, through music. And so my goal is that we would just internalize these songs that we sing on Sunday mornings. And so the, the worship team kind of helping put these songs in front of us and us just being faithful to, to sing and uh, good, solid theological songs. So Cody's been, been joking with me about some songs tonight. It's not that I... Uh, I don't like every song out there, um, but there are, there are songs that say a lot more about the gospel than other songs. And so for me, um, just because of that being my heart, is I want the songs that say the most, that are the deepest, um, that just can help us uh, hear and see the gospel uh, in our daily interactions. And so that's kind of kind of zooming back, kind of what I would want to happen through the, the worship ministry, music ministry, um, as it continues. So, uh, So as a kid growing up, I had a lot of examples of faithful men who served the church. My father has been a deacon at their church for decades. He and my mom have served there faithfully, uh, but particularly my grandfather who was saved uh, plowing cotton out west of Muleshoe, Texas, and uh, Lord called him to ministry, and he started pastoring a small church in a town called West Camp, and then he moved to Plains, Texas, which is where, where I'm from, uh, but I, my whole life have grown watching him do ministry. And as a kid, I remember sitting in the congregation when he was preaching, when we would go visit them, and just being amazed um, at the fact that my grandfather gets to stand up and expound upon the truths of God and on, on a weekly basis. And that, that excited me as a kid. And so uh, I thought, man, I, I would love to be able to do that. I would love to be able to talk to people about these things and get paid for it. And Part of that was, I think, a godly desire. Part of that was, you know, love of self and thinking, man, I'd love to stand in front of a lot of people and make them happy and they get to come by and shake my hand afterwards. Wouldn't that be cool? But then through the course of that, you know, told my grandfather that that was my desire and he helped me kind of work through some of those things and tried to help me discern, you know, if I really was called to the ministry. And so when I went to college, I uh, ended up at First Baptist Wolfert and that church uh, had a history of... Um, infighting and it had experienced a major split within the previous five years. Uh, but this new pastor had come in and he was serving faithfully and, uh, the college minister there started pouring into me and then, and then another pastor came in and so just worked with these guys intentionally to try to figure out if this is where I'm called. And, uh, over the course of that time, giving me chance to serve and chance to use my gifts to serve the church, not primarily as discernment, primarily to serve the body. I mean, that's why they gave me opportunities to serve. But then also as a benefactor, helped me discern if, if this is really where I was called. And so they led me uh, to, go to, to go to seminary, uh, which I'm still a student almost five years later. Um, I'm ready to be done with school. Uh, but yeah, so still a student at Southern. Um, and then over the course of the couple of years, have ended up here. Uh, but my vision for ministry is to equip not just the students for lifelong uh, obedience to Jesus, but also the parents, because I, I believe that the Bible teaches that I'm not the primary discipler of these students. Um, I can aid, assist, equip, and disciple, but that's not my primary role in their life. That's the role of the parents and the church as a whole. And so my goal is to facilitate that type of work and be, and to come alongside of you as you disciple your students. And as we, as members of the church, disciple these students, uh, because when these kids walk out of our doors, we want to have given them a foundation that will last them through good and through suffering. I mean, I, I look back on some of the ministry that I experienced when I was in junior high and I was in high school, and I think about some of the things that I'm taught. And when I look at people in crisis or when I experience crisis myself, I look back on that stuff and I say, that, that stuff isn't going to sustain me during this time. Um, and so I want to I give that to you as families, and I want to give that to you as students. Uh, present you with truths that will carry your students through the rest of their lives as they have their own families, as they have their own crisis. I want them to see that lifelong obedience to Jesus is worth it, even whenever it's difficult. And so my vision for ministry is just we as the church are pouring into these students so when they walk out of our doors, they know who Jesus is, and they trust him with their lives. Preach, brother. <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, my call to ministry, I was uh, pretty self-centered growing up. My, my uh, idol was basketball in high school from Eula. If you know anything about Eula, that's a common idol. There's no football there. So 
I uh, wanted to coach, though. I wanted to coach basketball. I wanted to coach at the, at the college level eventually. In my freshman year of college, the Lord just wrecked my life. I would have said I was a Christian all along. You know, if you asked Blake, are you a Christian? I would have said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Uh, but there was no repentance in my life, no real faith, no real following of the Lord until my freshman year of college. And so I became pretty zealous um, for evangelism and, and for the whole you know, cultural Christianity and false and true converts and all of that. And the next year, this would have been spring of 03, I think, um, I stayed at college during the Easter break and was just studying the word. And there were just really getting a deeper handle on, on the gospel, honestly, the deeper handle on the gospel because evangelism was a passion. I wanted to really grow in that and, and God's sovereignty and God's sovereignty and salvation, which was a long wrestle. And just his glory, really seeing that God created all things for his glory, first and foremost. Really, during that few days where I just immersed myself in God's word, God became God in my mind. Before he was God, he became God. And so, really, coming out of that weekend, I just was, was changed. And understanding scripture in a new way and pretty much decided then and there that I'm not going to be happy doing anything other than the ministry of the word. Proclaiming the God that I'm finding in this book. And uh, he confirmed along the way, both internally and externally, and took off, met Alicia, like I stalked Alicia, and then uh, I moved to Louisville and been trying to pursue him ever since faithfully. And I love that my job really is easy in this sense. God works through his word. You know, I'm, I hear, I'm hearing a lot of encouragement, and I'm so glad for that, and I just fall back. All we're doing is opening up God's word, you know. None of us are particularly creative, you know, or dynamic. You know, we want to be those things. We want to grow in those things. But at the end of the day, we're opening up the Bible and God's going to work. So what a privilege, what a responsibility. You all kind of mentioned it with your vision and you all kind of heard that. But real quickly, last question, some ways the body can be praying for you all specifically, ministry, family, whatever. Uh, for us, just adjustment. So, like. Like Blake said, we've been here for less than, a, less than a month, so just adjustment for us, and just as a thank you to many of you who have been praying for us, who helped us move in, who've prepared meals over the last couple of weeks. I mean, that's been a service to our family. Uh, I've been able to tell people over the course of the last week or so, even in the short time that we've been here, we've been able to say, you know, yes, we're a part of this family now, and, and, we, and we feel that. Uh, so thank you all for that, for loving us so quickly. Um, just because our common denominator is Jesus. So we, you know, we're equipped to be able to love each other. So thank y'all for that. Uh, but just adjustment for our family. Uh, that's a big thing. But then also that, uh, you know, we would, we as a, as a student ministry team, you know, I'm, I'm leading this team as we seek to serve these students and equip you as families, that we would have concrete ways to do that, that are beyond what's within our normal schedule. So being able to do that outside of what we do on Wednesday night with the kids, what we do on uh, Sunday morning with the kids, those types of things. So finding time to meet with families, to be able to talk with dads, to be able to work with these students so that we can show them that, you know, following Jesus isn't just this reservation of two hours per week. I mean, it's, it's your whole life or it's nothing. So concrete ways that we can do that, uh, praying that those things would become clear and that we would have opportunity to do that. And then also, I think this is true for anybody in ministry. Um, we have a hard time crossing paths with unbelievers. Uh, so specifically pray, not just for me, but for all these guys that we would have interactions with non-believers and that we would be able to talk to them. We would be able to share the good news of the gospel, uh, because we get to see your faces all the time, which is great. But you know Jesus, and we can encourage each other in that way. But we want to meet people who are outside, who don't know this Jesus, so we can show them there is a path to come in. And it's free for you if you will just trust this Christ. So, yeah, I pray that that would be true for all of us. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm finding myself less and less trying to meet new college students, um, which is kind of counterintuitive, right? You want to always meet new college students. But what I'm seeing is I'm seeing the... Cooper and Andrea, the Chance, the Christians, the Dylan and Abbeys, they're, you know, helping to equip them. So pray for, for boldness. Are there any more college students here? I'm not seeing any more. Um, but pray for boldness for them as they're on campus, that they would be bold in their faith and that they would be bold in helping to discern and disciple, is their friend truly, you know, like we were just talking about in our leadership meeting, are they wasting their life or are they using it for the glory of God? Uh, so pray for boldness for the students, 
the leadership team. We've got nine people on the leadership team. Um, pray for uh, the next step after boldness is just discipleship. Oh, like, I mean, I really just, it's, Lord is so provident. Just like I've had good discipleship relationships in my life. And then to be on a staff or that's our goal. That's the church's, that's the elder's goal is discipleship. It's not just to make converts, it's to make disciples. And so that discipleship would happen. Uh, we're doing that on Sunday mornings. We're trying to create an opportunity with our midweek service on Thursdays to reach. That's kind of the first step is reaching the students, giving them a place to come. And then the next step is to be discipled. That's on Sunday morning and then come to service and, um, and to be a member here. Um, and then at the, the last part of that is being sent out. So um, just so for boldness um, and then for discipleship to take place. Yeah, I think for us, uh, kind of selfishly, just in our household, we've had uh, the season of this little minor sicknesses going on uh, for a little while now. So I appreciate prayers of health kind of for our family, just, just on some of those minor things for us. Um, kind of ministry related, I think uh, for me in particular, it's really easy to, I mean, the possibility of, of moving to a place of just coasting, you know, just grabbing some songs, putting them in a service and kind of just kind of coasting through each week. And so just pray for intentionality uh, just pray for for God's leading and for me to follow and not just drift into, you know, the easy way, but to, to every week just be faithful in the ministry he's given me. And uh, um, also just to, to manage time well. And so um, a lot of times I just, I want to do more and I just, you know, uh, kind of looking around and then seeing what I'll have to do. And I just, I think I need to be better about being intentional with my time and not taking as much time on different things and just uh, being able to um, uh, make good use of my days. And so I'd appreciate prayer in that and just faithfulness in ministry. So. Cool. I'd say for, uh, for mine, my family in particular, you know, we've got five, eight and one and a half. And so endurance is one, just endurance in a season <laughs> of, uh, of work. Uh, but two for our family, particularly Elisha and I, but really for, for this too. And for the elders, this is really the main way you can serve us. I think is pray for our holiness, pray that we would hate sin, pray that we would run from it at the first sense. It's repentance would be fast. So a hatred of sin, a delight in the law of the Lord, a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that we would love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. And because if we don't have that, really everything else can be Phariseeism. So pray regularly for, for our holiness and growth in Christ. Thanks for coming. I want to pray and pray for our food over there, and we'll head over there to the Fellowship Hall and eat and hang out and celebrate.